salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm very excited to be back behind the microphone once again. Am I ever not excited to be back behind the microphone? Probably not. I love doing this podcast. I love interacting with all of you wonderful listeners, and I really appreciate your continued uh, support. On this episode of the Judo Chop Sui Podcast, I'm going to talk about the Montreal Grand Prix and the return of the king of the International Judo Federation, Teddy Renair. I'm also going to discuss the most recent Marius Wieser Twitter Q&A. Those are always so much fun. I am also going to revisit the issue between Iran and Israel. There has been some news-related items over the past couple of weeks regarding that topic, and I wanted to cover that. Some interesting stuff coming out of the Jerusalem Post, which tends to, which seems to contradict um, the earlier discussion we had on this a couple of episodes ago. And um, let's see, what else? Some very sad news coming out of the Judah world, both uh, locally and internationally, that I wanted to cover as well. But before I get into any of that, I have to know. Who is the listener downloading this episode from the Oland Islands? All right, so let me give you some background here. Every once in a great while, I go on to Podbean and I take a look at my download stats. Not that I care about download numbers, but I always find it interesting to find out where where the podcast is most listened to, what new areas of the world are people downloading the podcast. So... I log in just to see July's numbers, and lo and behold, I see 35 downloads from the Oland Islands. Now, I have never heard of this place in my life. I I know, here I am, ignorant American here. But for July, it ranked uh, number five, uh, falling behind the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, and Oland Islands. I I had to look up on Google, the Google machine, to find out where that is, and I, I... didn't even know such a place existed. Fascinating. So whoever you are, listener, or if it's a couple of listeners, please email me. I want to I wanna talk to you. I want to know who you are. I want to find out how you found out about the podcast. If you want to shoot me an email, it's show at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at LaVitaJudoka. My Instagram is awesome. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's also at Levita Judoka. And you could also find me on Facebook uh, doing a search for Judo Chop Sui Podcast. And if you want, you could search for David Roman and add me as a friend. Just if you do so, please let me know that you're a listener of the podcast. Because if you don't, then I'm chances are I'm going to uh, leave your friend request and friend request purgatory. Which means that I just look at it and I ignore it. Now, before I get into the judo-related items, I look, I got to talk about this. Spider-Man Far From Home, fantastic movie. I highly recommend you watch it. It was a brilliant post-Endgame uh, movie, and I, I liked it a hundred times better than, than, than Avengers Endlame. I'll tell you that much right now. I thought it was a great uh, movie. I thought... Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio played that character very well. I also watched Rocket Man a couple of days ago. That's a very good movie. It's it's certainly wasn't as good as Spider Man, but very entertaining nonetheless. I I tend to like musicals, and this movie kind of went the musical route. My favorite musical of all time is Man of La Mancha, by the way. 
I binge watched Stranger Things that did not suck. And one of my other favorite shows on Netflix, uh, uh, what the, what the heck is it called? La Casa de Papel. Oh, Money Heist. That's right. Money Heist is a fantastic show if you can get by the subtitles because it's all in Spanish. It's one of the best shows on Netflix, hands down. I highly suggest you watch it. Let's see, what else is going on? Oh, I finally got back onto the mats after suffering with back spasms for three weeks. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood right here because I don't want to go through that again. I have been far more dedicated to stretching at home than I've ever been in my life because that was just, that back spasm was horrible. It felt like somebody smashed my back with a baseball bat and just didn't damage it didn't damage the vertebrae but but damaged everything else back there i could barely walk but um but i step finally got onto the mats on wednesday and with the 3 weeks off my groin pull finally healed and i got to tell you not to brag or anything but i i felt pretty good on wednesday i felt like i was moving like my old self in a way that i haven't moved in quite some time but the real test for me was was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on Thursday night because Wednesday, you know, when I do judo, I'm very postured, and, and because of that posture, it it relieves a lot of pressure on my lower back. But Jiu-Jitsu was going to be the real test for me, and I I gotta tell you, it was tough. I I, I whenever I go to Jiu-Jitsu, I try and. Uh, practice for two hours because there's usually back-to-back classes sometimes in a, it's an advanced class first and then a beginner sometimes a beginner and then advanced this time around it was a beginner class first so I made it through that first class okay and then on the second class probably about 15-20 minutes in my my back just completely seized up and I, I just couldn't continue I just had to basically uh <laughs> tap out of the class I I, I tried to loosen it up but it, it just wouldn't give but um, but then I, I I went to practice on Saturday. I I did uh, the 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 Saturday morning jujitsu class, and then I took a break for an hour and did the uh, the Saturday morning no gi class. And again, my my lower back was tight, but when it comes to no gi, again, I'm standing up on my feet. I like to stay postured, even though it allows for more wrestling. And um, I I thought I moved pretty well, all things considered. So I'm really looking forward. I'm recording this on Sunday. July 21st, at least this segment anyway. And earlier today, I went to Wikiwachi. That was pretty cool. Seeing seeing the mermaid show. Like, I'm, I'm serious. There were like real people dressed up as mermaids uh, doing the song and dance thing underwater. It was pretty awesome. They, they have these tubes that they breathe uh, oxygen from. And they, they're underwater for like a half hour doing all these dances and stuff. It's an amazing show. I, I've always heard of Wikiwachi. And I, 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 one of those type of places that I said that I would visit once I moved down here, but not 19 years later, I finally made it there and, uh, it was pretty awesome. I went, uh, snorkeling and saw some freshwater fish. The spring was incredible. Uh, the Wikiwachi Springs was fantastic. I like, even though it was a bunch of people swimming in there, the, the water was, seemed pretty clean to drink, certainly cleaner than, uh, what comes out of the, the, the water spigot in my refrigerator. So yeah, so I'm totally sunburnt, but I'm looking forward to going back to practice tomorrow and, and trying to continue my light rehab. I, I, I'm calling it a rehab because I'm not going very hard in these classes. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly giving an effort, but uh, I, I can't roll hard for sure because, <laughs> quite frankly, I'm kind of afraid. I'm kind of afraid to re-injure myself. Anyway, 
moving along. The Montreal Grand Prix. What a great event. And let me tell you, it was really nice to watch a Grand Prix event or an IJF World Tour event in my own time zone. Well, actually, it, it's probably about two hours behind, but it doesn't matter. It worked out really well for me because by the time the event started, I was I was taking my lunch breaks, so it, it, it worked out fantastic. So I'm, I watch it right from the beginning, and Neil Adams is on commentary, and also uh, uh, Mr. Anthony Corelli was on commentary along with Neil. For, now, for those that don't know, Anthony Corelli used to wrestle in the WWE as Santino Morella. Now, he's no longer with the WWE, but I got to say, he, he really did have a great time, a great character in the WWE, and, and he's certainly missed by, by many people in the WWE universe. That much I know. All right, so enough of that because I'm going to go off on the rails on wrestling. So, all right, getting back to the IJF where the king of the International Judo Federation, Teddy Renair, made his return and making a decree that thou shalt not win judo tournaments while I am competing. So it should come as no surprise on how the day went. Obviously, he won gold this day. I want to dissect a little bit what I thought of his performances. Starting off with his first match of the day against uh, Ajak Tadehara of the United States. Now look... (laughs) This was the equivalent of when, uh, for, for those of you about my age, when Mike Tyson fought Peter McNeely after a long layoff. It's just the only difference this time around is that this is judo and that Renair's layoff uh, had nothing to do with being guilty of a felony and being in prison for a couple of years. So Renair took care of Tadehara in pretty quick order. See you later. Bye. In his next match, he, had, he drew uh, Vladu Simeonescu of Romania. And Renier took care of him in pretty quick order with a very nice Harai Goshi. Now here's where things got really interesting. Teddy Renier drew Lucas Kerpalik, who is the 2014 world champion and the 2016 uh, gold medal winner for the under 100 kilo division. So this guy is no slouch and Kerpalik took it to him. And this match went into golden score where Renier won with a beautiful looking Harai Goshi. And again... You, well, actually, not again. What I wanted to say was this. In Renair's first two matches, he really looked uh, not out of shape. He, he, looked like, he looked like he hadn't been competing in about 18 months, quite frankly. He just looked kind of a little slow and maybe not sure of himself if, if there's even such a thing for, for somebody who's gone, whatever, 156-0 and 0 or whatever his record is. But what I'm trying to say is that it seemed that while the first two matches he seemed sluggish, um, it's almost as if everything was coming back to him as we were witnessing it in, in his final two matches. And and this match with, with Kapalik is no exception here. It's hard to describe. He just he just was getting better and stronger as the day went on. It, that's just how it seemed to me. And and man, he really launched Kapalik. Now he only got a Wazari on that throw, but but, but Kapalik was just way in the air. And for somebody, for Renair to, to launch a guy like that in that way is, is really a testament to his skill. And in the gold medal match, you had the repeat of the 2016 plus 100 kilo gold medal match of Renair facing Hawasawa of Japan. And again, it, it's amazing to me. An 18-month layoff and the Japanese still do not have an answer for Renair. Renair ends up throwing Hawasawa with a uh, huge Osotogari with the with the uh, 
over-the-back grip Osotogari for, for the Wazari score in Golden Score. I think I already said that. And Renair continues his undefeated streak of, of whatever it is these days. I, I can't even keep track anymore. Now, everything I just covered was with regards to the last day of the event, which is when the plus 100 kilo uh, contests occurred. But I watched a lot of the first uh, bits of action of this Grand Prix. And I wanted to talk about some of my thoughts on Team USA's performance and what I thought about the Grand Prix in general. Now, getting into what I thought of the Grand Prix in general, I thought it was very well done, but I was a little bit surprised. Well, maybe not surprised, but maybe a little disappointed that there were only 249 competitors for this event. And that is very low for an international uh, judo federation Grand Prix. And I'm going to guess that that largely has to do with the fact that the European Games had just finished on the prior weekend. So a lot there are a lot more competitors in the the uh, the Budapest Grand Prix, which is happening over the weekend of July 12th. And I'm going to get a little bit into that Grand Prix, at least I think. I'm gonna. It depends on how long this podcast go, but I do want to cover some of the results there. Teddy Renner is not in that event. So going back to the first day of the Montreal Grand Prix, I watched, like I said before, I watched some of Team USA. Uh, first, one of the first matches that I watched was Anne Su- uh, Suzuki of Team USA versus uh, Katarina Costa of Portugal. And my goodness, Anne took a very painful-looking throw from uh, from Costa because I-, I don't know what happened there. It was it was a sacrifice throw from Costa, and she had thrown Suzuki in a way where she fell on her head, and her head bent backwards, and and her back was over her head. Like it was just, it was an ugly looking throw. And, and I'm sure that was a big reason why she lost that match. And I, I got to hand it to her. She's really a trooper for uh, continuing on. Cause I, I, I'm going to bet that she's going to be in a lot of pain or she's probably in a lot of pain right now. Now I thought Angelica Delgado uh, fought, had a, had a fantastic day. She ends up getting silver where she loses in the gold medal match against Primo of Israel. And I got to hand it to Delgado. She really looked like a pro out there. And and, uh, I'm going to get into a little bit of that later. But she looked like a real pro. She looked like she belonged out there. And in my opinion, that Wazari called on her in Golden Score was was, uh, questionable at best. Uh, Again, that's just my opinion. But, of course, the referees are way better than I am at making those judgment calls. It's just... um, it's un- it's unfortunate, but but Angelica gets the silver, and that's great. I if I'm not mistaken, that may be the first silver uh, for Team USA in uh, this year on on the World Tour. I I, I could be mistaken about that, but uh, but I think that might be the first silver. I, I don't know. I I don't have my stats in front of me. Now over on the men's side on on, on day one, you had Adonis Diaz make it to the bronze medal match against uh, Takabatake of of Brazil, not Israel, Brazil. And he ended up winning. He had a great Morote Sayanagi that uh, he, he did not give up on because what happened, his opponent had managed to resist the first uh, part of that throw. And, and he Adonis kept pushing and, and kept pulling on that sleeve and it managed to turn him over on his back for a Wazari score. And he, he held on to that score for the, for the rest of the match and that gave him the victory. That gave him the bronze. That's fantastic. Now, that was about as much action I could watch on day one for Team USA. And on day two... 
I watched Jack Hatton in, with his matchup in the first round against Morales of Argentina. Now that match went into Golden Score and he managed to win with what looks like a Tayatoshi for Wazari. At least that's what I'm calling it. Now Jack ended up getting fifth place in this contest and he lost in the bronze medal match to Aslan Lepiganov of Russia. I then went on to watch Hannah Martin's match and then Alex Turner's match, which I gotta say, uh, Alex Turner must have had a, a contingency of fans up there in, in, in Montreal because some lady was screaming her head off at Alex. And I'm, not, I'm hoping that wasn't one of Team USA's coaches. And the other match that I saw for Team USA was Nick Del Popolo losing to Margela Dion of Canada. Oh, and I forgot to add that uh, Colton Brown won silver in the under 90 kilo division. He had a matchup against Mashu Baker, who Baker for me is one of my favorites to watch on the tour. I'm, it's so good to see him back. I, I don't know if he's going to make the, if he's going to be competing in the Olympics. I certainly hope so. But um, Colton really took it to Mashu Baker. I, I he he fought him well, and and Baker ended up getting a Wazari call within like. The final 10 seconds of the match of regulation. But uh, but uh, my hat's off to Colton. I thought he, he performed really well. Now to cover some of the other winners of the Montreal Grand Prix. Starting at the under 60 kilo division. You had Naohisa Takato of Japan taking gold. In the under 66 kilo division you have Kerlin Ganbold of Mongolia taking gold. In the under 73 kilo division you had uh, Soichi Hashimoto of Japan defeating Victor Skortorov of the United Arab Emirates. I did not realize Hashimoto was in this tournament. That's uh, that's uh, quite a high-level athlete there. One of the best. Takanora Nagase takes gold in the under-81 kilo division, which obviously was absent of some of the world's best, which includes uh, Saeed Molai and Sagi Muki. I already covered the under-90 kilo division. Uh, that goes to Mashu Baker. Now, in the under-100 kilo division, you had Ramadan Darwish of Egypt defeating Shady... El Nahas of Canada, I did not see any of those matches. And I already covered the over 100 kilo division, which obviously was Teddy Renner. Uh, in the under 48 kilo division, you have uh, Wakana Koga of Japan. Now, I have no idea if she's related to uh, Toshihiko Koga. Uh, she's only 18 years old, so it's it's certainly viable that, that it could be uh, her father or her uncle or something like that. I, I don't know. I'm only speculating there. I already covered the under 52 kilo division. Now moving on to the under 57 kilo division. That was won by Krista Delgucci of, of Canada, who defeated her teammate Jessica Klimklate, uh, also of Canada, obviously, because they're teammates. In the under 63 kilo division, you have Mok Hee Cho of South Korea defeating Amy Livesey of Great Britain. Obviously, it should go without saying that Clarissa Begnenu not being in, the, in that uh, competition uh, is noticeable because she's usually uh, number one. The under 70 kilo division was won by Giovanna Sokuchi Amaro of Germany. The under 78 kilo division was won by Shori Hamada of Japan. And the plus 78 kilo division was won by uh, Sarah Asahina, which comes as no surprise to me. The only surprise is I was surprised I did not see Idalis Ortiz uh, competing because they're usually one and two, and you can flip those names backwards and forwards. They usually end up getting first or second when they're both in the same tournament. All right, so moving along, it is with a heavy heart and great sadness for me to announce the passing of two judoka 
that have been fixtures in the in the United States judo scene. First off, I just got this information from from Facebook. A fellow by the name of Jerry Wee, who was a USJF Sichidan, I guess he passed away on July 11th, and he was the head sensei for Wee Dojo, which I believe is in Michigan. At least that's what the obituary states. So my my uh, my condolences to the family and friends of Jerry Wee. And somebody else that um, I have had some interaction with in the past, a fellow by the name of Tom Masterson, passed away. I do not know the circumstances of his passing, but I got news. I got some wind of this from uh, David Ellis, who was once a guest on this podcast uh, at least a year ago. Now, Tom lived in St. Petersburg, Florida, and he was one of the instructors at least years ago. He was one of the instructors at St. Pete Judo Club. Now, I had a brief stint in judo prior to starting in 2006. I was probably involved with the St. Pete Judo Club for about a couple of months. And then things just got tough for me financially. And I just I just couldn't swing the monthly payments anymore. But Tom was one of the head sensei there. I don't think he would have remembered me if I you know, came across him, you know, say a year ago or something like that. But my time with Tom and at the St. Pete Judo Club was a very positive and memorable experience. Now, it's also my understanding, I actually I I know this for sure. He was part of the 1988 US uh judo Olympic team, I believe as either one of the head coaches or or the manager of the team. I can't remember which one, but I do know that he's been to the Olympics as a coach for Team USA and I'm sure many people who he have he has coached had, are are feeling the sting of this loss. And I would like to express my condolences to his friends and family and, and certainly students. It's a great loss for judo, and it's certainly a great loss for the community as well. Now, there is one other passing that I wanted to talk about, and I have delayed the release of this particular episode uh, because I wanted to include this bit of news Craig Fallon of Great Britain, who won the world championships in the under 60 kilo division in the 2005 world championships, has passed away. Now, I never met Craig, but I know many of you that listen, or maybe not many, but some of you that listen knew Craig personally, know his family. And I would like to express my condolences to his family, his friends, his former teammates, and Team Great Britain, because I know that Craig was an inspiration to many of you. Now, the Daily Mail article where I read of this unfortunate news um, states the following. Former British world judo champion Craig Fallon has been found dead on a hillside after being reported missing by his family. The 36-year-old's body was found in East Shropshire after a police hunt was launched on Sunday. Police said a body was found at the Reckon in the early hours of Monday morning. The cause of death has yet to be revealed. However, West Mercia police said no third party is believed to be involved and added the coroner has also been informed. And, you know, in other various articles, I've read that he had went missing for two days. His family didn't know what happened and that uh, the police don't believe foul play is suspected. So this is really unfortunate, obviously. He was only 36 years old and, you know, while the cause of death has not been revealed, it doesn't take much to put the dots together and, and figure out exactly what happened here. And, it, it, you know, it's just unbelievable. And, and it's very sad because 
he had given so much of himself to the Judah community over in Great Britain and around the world. And he was a husband. He was a father. And I got to say that he – there were so many times that I watched his videos uh, when I wanted to look to improve my own judo. Now, I, I've never really patterned my judo over any one person. or But Craig was some certainly somebody that I always looked to in terms of how he did techniques because we had a very similar body size, or at least when I was lighter anyway. So, you know, all I can say at this point is rest in peace, Craig, and you will be missed by all of us. All right, so I was alerted to an article by a listener coming out of the Jerusalem Post, and it is an article written by a fellow by the name of Elon Einhorn. The headline goes, Iran, we will not compete against Israeli athletes. Now, this really caught my attention because it was my understanding back in March the International Judo Federation had made an agreement with the Iranian National Olympic Committee. So when this listener had sent me this article, I immediately went to check the, the date and timestamp of the article, and it was released on July 7th, obviously, of this year. So I was very surprised to see this article. I'm going to read uh, bits and pieces of it. It's not a very long article here, so it goes like this. President of the Iran National Olympic Committee Saeed Reza Salehi Amiri said the uh, said that Iranian athletes will not compete against Israeli athletes despite Iran claiming in a letter addressed to the International Judo Federation that things might change. The Judo World Championship will take place at the end of August where most most of the anticipated encounter will be between Iranian Saeed Molai who is ranked number 1 in the 81 kilogram weight group and second-ranked Israel-Israeli Sagi Muki. At the Abu Dhabi's Grand Slam in October, the Iranian judoka faked an injury to purposely lose a fight that would have led directly to an encounter with Muki. The Israeli went on to win gold, uh, went on to win the gold medal. Then, at the Paris Grand Slam in February, Malai again feigned an injury and lost to Kazakhstan's Ruslan Musayev, ranked 209th in the world, in just 20 seconds. Molai seemed to easily recover to, uh, from his injury to win the bronze medal. The problem was that Muki won the civil medal, so Mo Molai once again had to rely on that same injury to avoid sharing the podium with an Israeli athlete. The IJF said in a letter to Iran that the international Judah community witnessed several times a disturbing phenomenon which involves a sudden injury or, or failure of weigh-ins of Iranian athletes. Uh, because of the possible obligation of the given athlete to compete against certain countries. In the same letter, the Federation set a March 15th deadline for the Iranian government to present the International Judo Federation, a governmental letter which guarantees that all athletes from Iran will compete in IJF competitions regardless of the nationality of the athletes they oppose, and that they will participate in the medal ceremonies regardless of the nationality of those who share the podium with them. The Iranian response to the letter was published by the IJF on March 11th, where it claimed that it would fully respect the Olympic Charter and its non-discrimination principle. The Islamic Republic also said that they were negotiating with Parliament to identify the proper legal resolutions. Now, here's where the article gets interesting. And by interesting, I don't mean that in a good way. So continuing on, it states, In an interview with Fars News Agency, Amiri claimed to have discussed the matter with IJF Chairman Marius Wieser in Lausanne, Switzerland, 
with Amiri expressing that Iranians will not be competing with Israeli athletes. The article goes on to quote, Refraining from participating in competitions with athletes of the Zionist regime is an issue of the Muslim world and athletes from 20 countries refrain from doing so. I said that we are acting within the framework of the Iranian regime's policy and for this reason we are not competing with athletes of the Zionist regime. Now that is allegedly what the president of the the, uh, Iranian National Olympic Committee had stated in this interview. Now... I reached out to the author of this article in the Jerusalem Post uh, via Facebook. I had to go digging around. I was hoping he had a Twitter, but he did not. But I, I, I hate, you know, searching for people's Facebook when I don't know them. And, you know, I had to do some digging, but I found his Facebook profile and I sent him a direct message asking him if he could share with me the link or the, the interview of where he saw this Fars News Agency Uh, interview with the president of the Iranian Olympic Committee. Now, Mr. Einhorn was very gracious enough to link the article that he read this. Now, granted, this Fars News Agency article was written in Persian, so I had to do a lot of translating. But but I came to to find out that this article was written on June 28th of this year, which is certainly... Quite some time after the signed agreement was was made with the International Judo Federation and Marius Visa. Now, something I found out that was really interesting. I did not know that the Arabic world has a completely different calendar than the ones that we're used to. By we, I'm talking about the Western world. So when I saw the article in Persian, along with the translating, I was seeing a date of of 4-7-1398, and I was like, that doesn't make sense. That must be a bug, and and no. This stereotypical, ignorant American did not know that there were other calendars. So when I read this, I decided to reach out to the International Judo Federation and Mr. Marius Wieser directly on Twitter to ask for their response, and they did respond the very next day, and by the next day, I'm talking about July 9th. Now, the article goes... According to various recent press articles quoting Iranian authorities about their national stance with regards to participation in competitions without discrimination, the International Judo Federation would like to republish the official letter of the Iranian Olympic Committee, which is self-explanatory and clearly states that the the Iranian National Olympic Committee will fully comply with the Olympic Charter and principles of non-discrimination. Now, in this article, uh, it goes on to share again... The letter, both signed by the president of the uh, National Olympic Committee of Iran and the president of the Iranian Judo Federation. So, so I'm not going to read this letter again because I already covered this in a previous episode of the podcast. But this is very interesting to me because I, I guess it, we will see what happens in the world championships. Now, the Jerusalem Post is a very reputable outstanding news organization, but I don't know it. I don't think I can say the same thing about the FARS news agency. So it's entirely possible that the FARS news agency is also a reputable news agency and the president of the National Olympic Committee basically saved face to the country of Iran by saying these things without going into detail the kind of agreements that they already set in place a couple months ago. And I'm talking about specifically with agreements with the International Judo Federation. So we're really not going to know for sure until we see Sagi Muki and Saeed Molai competing 
uh, for a final in a gold medal match or maybe in a semifinal or something, or perhaps in a situation where where Molai gets gold, but Sagimuki ends up in the bronze medal match and in, in, in winning that bronze medal contest, will they share the same podium? I, that'll be interesting to see because we're hearing one thing from the International Judo Federation and the Jerusalem Post, which I happen to believe both of those stories. I mean, why wouldn't I? And then we're hearing a completely different side of this story from the FARS news agency. And and again, look, there are countries where people are not free, where journalists and the press do not have the same kind of freedoms that uh, journalists have in the United States. And because of that, I'm more inclined to believe the Jerusalem Post. And one more thing just to add to that, look, freedomhouse.org, which is a watchdog organization for freedom and democracy around the world, they're the ones that do a lot of the rating in terms of how free a country is or how free the press in a country is. And Iran has a very low score and Israel has a much higher score. They're not as high as the United States, but but again, it just I'm just again, I'm just showing here that when I make statements like that, I'm I'm not just talking out of my blowhole, you know what I mean? Anyway. The Marius Fieser Twitter Q&A. I love these. I love them when he has them, and I, I find them always very interesting. I know some of you don't, but it gives really people who follow the International Judo Federation World Tour a, a chance to talk with its head man uh, running things over there. And I had some questions to ask. Uh, I actually managed to get in two questions, and he answered them. Uh, starting off with the whole topic on uh, Iran and Israel, I had asked the question, goes like this. In a recent article in the Jerusalem Post, I read that the president of the National Olympic Committee of Iran made comments stating he was backing out of his agreement with the International Judo Federation. The author shared his source from FARS News Agency, and I've read these recent comments. Do you have any further comment or response? Do you believe the issue of Iranian athletes refusing to compete against Israeli athletes is behind us? Now, that was a two-part um uh, they, they, there were two tweets that involved that question. That's why it seemed very long. Mr. Visa responded in a series of tweets. Seeing the latest information in the media regarding this subject, we have republished their letter of the Iran National Olympic Committee where they clearly expressed their agreement to follow the IOC charter and IJF statutes regarding discriminatory matters. I hope they will follow on their promises and in the same time, since early, I am not truly convinced that the Iranian athletes themselves refuse to compete against any nation. I think it is an issue of the government and the sport has to remain clean. I will not accept to transfer the competition on the tatami into a political debate. On the mat, we are com- we compete for the values of sport and for a better world. Completely agree that that's just um, well said by Mr. Vizer. And I, sir, I, as he's alluded to and I certainly agree I don't believe that these athletes are going rogue trying to make a political statement uh, much in the same way that somebody like a Colin Kaepernick is doing so you know taking a knee or at least when he did you know four or five years ago whenever that was I also asked another question and this was in regards to a statement he made comparing uh, Judo Canada and USA Judo where I thought and this was back in the during the Paris Grand Slam, I believe, where he pretty much put USA Judo on blast. 
So I asked a follow-up question to that. I had asked them, Mr. Vizer, in your last Q&A, you expressed that you were pleased with Canada and their efforts in judo development. You also stated that it contrasts to, to the United States, a country with potential, but not doing the same. That was in quotes. What changes would you like to see USA Judo make? And uh, I ended up getting another two-part uh, response. Uh, he states, I, oh, hold on. He states, I would like to see changes in the vision and strategy of USA Judo. We already proposed some projects to develop Judo there, including Judo in schools, one of the most successful programs in Judo today. We are ready to finance it. We had no reaction from the Federation. As well, I would like to see bigger events in the United States taking in consideration that Los Angeles will organize a... Olympic Games, and I would like to see more top judoka on the podium. Yeah, you and me both there, Mr. Vizer. And you know, here's the thing. I have no reason to believe that what he's saying isn't true. To get no reaction from from USA Judo after you've made suggestions on how to improve judo in the United States, especially when the IGF is willing to give you money, that's disgraceful. That That's shameful. And, and Goodness gracious, I know there are well-meaning people in USA Judo, but <laughs> I mean, I'm without words. How, how could you not react to the president of the International Judo Federation? You know, and when I hear these kind of things, it makes me wonder, and I, I hate to say it, it makes me wonder if there are some people at USA Judo that's just using the job as a stepping stone to get to other positions with the United States Olympic Committee or or different organizations along those lines. Because how could you just not respond to the president of the International Judo Federation? I that's just that's inexcusable. You know, and to add to this, I completely forgot that LA is hosting the 2028 Summer Games. That's well, obviously it's nine years away. But what's USA Judo's plan? Uh, the, the, the status quo? I mean, don't don't you want to have an athlete stand on the podium for, for one of your divisions? I mean, seemingly between the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics, the United States does very well in just about every sport that it participates in uh, during the Olympic Games. Uh, and I don't see that changing or I don't see that happening with judo. And look, I'm sorry to say this is not a, intended to be a blast. This is just an opinion, but... I don't believe Team USA has anybody on that squad that has a, a, a remote chance on making it to a podium in an Olympic Games. Maybe Angelica Delgado. But she's in an extremely tough division in that under 52 kilo division. I mean, you're, you're, gonna, you're going to have a most likely a, a, an Uta Abe, Majlinda Kelmendi final in the Olympic Games. I, I would, if I was a betting man. Uh, actually, I am a betting man. I would bet that those two are going to be your gold medal final. So then that leaves the bronze medal matches. And look, like I said before, that division is stacked. And while silver at the Montreal Grand Prix is nice, that was a smaller event. Uh, the Olympic Games is 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 the big top, you know? So, you know, as, as funny as this may sound, I... As it stands right now, I would venture to guess our uh, the hope for the United States is it's not with USA Judo. It's what Travis Stevens is doing with Project 2024. At least he's got a goal and a vision on how he's going to get 
certain athletes prepared to compete in the Paris Games. Yeah, and you know, Travis, I don't know if you listen. I, I, I think you do sometimes. If, you, if, if somebody, if one of your uh, peoples gets you, uh, listens to this thing, let Travis know. He should reach out to uh, Marius Wieser. Maybe the IJF will give him money to grow his program and develop judo in the United States. I, I'm sure Travis would respond. So anyway, all right, moving along with the rest of the Q&A. Now, here's an interesting question from at Timo Sivula. Uh, Timo underscore Sivula. Rule changes and IJF decisions are prepared in secrecy without the average judoka being able to participate in the process. What is the IJF doing to make the decision making in the International Judo Federation more transparent? That's a very good question. Uh, Mr. Visa responds, with all the occasions of the changing of the rules, we have taken on board the opinions of coaches, referees, executive board members, and the best judoka in the world. We can't be more transparent than that. If you have any suggestions, please let us know. And in a, a follow-up tweet, he states, the proposals we receive are coming from down to up. And he's absolutely right about that because if you look at these rules, like every, you at the beginning of the year when they discussed certain rule changes and things like this, I've covered this. Uh, I covered it uh, a couple of years ago when they when they made some changes to the gripping strategies and stuff. Take a look at the people in the room. Take a look at the people who are representing USA Judo that are in that room. You know, I think some people out there think that uh, Marius Wieser just just makes up these rules in his head and then yeah, and, and then just just slams down a gavel onto his table or whatever and 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 declares you know ban leg grabs or ban this grip or ban this throw it does come from a a committee of people that represent uh the top level people in the or in each country's federation and and something else that I would like to add is um many of you have actually changed my opinion on the whole leg grab thing in judo i mean for for the longest time, I agreed with the rule change. I thought it was a necessary change, but m- my opinion has shifted slightly. I I I think leg grab should be in in international uh, judo competitions. I think it should be there in the highest levels, and that was an opinion I did not have two years ago. So I can't remember if I've mentioned that before, but that is the case. I do feel differently about that thanks to you all, but um. But in my opinion, you can't you can't have leg grabs with the way that they are scoring uh, throws these days. That you you would have to make the standard for Ipon much higher than what it currently is. And the same thing for Wazari scores. If you're gonna if you're gonna have leg grabs, the uh, Wazari and Ipon standards would need to be much higher than what they currently are. In my opinion, of course. But the fellow that asked that question, I looked at his Twitter profile. He follows me. I follow him. He's from Finland. So. Uh, to that fellow, I would suggest that you, if you want to see rule changes, bang bang on the door of your uh, the Judo Federation in Finland and people all over the place that, you know, if you want to see these rules change, it's going to have to come from, you know, the people in the national federations who, who are supposed to represent you going to these uh, overseas conferences and stuff where these things are discussed. It's going to take those people making proposals. All right, continuing on. Interesting question from at Reini, R-E-I-N-I underscore P-U-P-U-E. Have you already spoken to the Austrian judo president Hans-Paul Kuchera about the problems with the World Championships 2021 in Vienna? And will the tournament still be hosted in Vienna? 
Uh, Mr. Visa responds, of course, we are aware of the political crisis in Austria, but at the moment, all the strategies are moving in the right direction. Uh, I am not aware of anything uh, going on in Vienna, so now I'm going to have to find out what that is. At Pudo World asks, in which new locations would you like most like the IGF to host a competition? Mr. Visa responds, I would like to see new events in the United States, Australia, India, and African territories. That would be nice too, but um, you got to return those phone calls, USA Judo. And what can I say? At Michael underscore Pavitt asks, do you think we could one day see artificial intelligence used to help judging a sport as gymnastics have targeted? Could this be something judo may explore at some point in the future? Uh, Mr. Visa responds, today we don't have any problems in judging and the evaluation of our sport rules, but of course for the future when the experience will be successful in some sports, we could involve ourselves in this area. We already use a very successful video system and taking into consideration the complexity of the judgment of our sport, there are only some areas where the technology could be eventually used. And I, I agree with that. I think the refs on the IGF World Tour, by and large, get the call right 98% of the time. I'm not sure what artificial in, uh, intelligence would would uh, would add to the criteria to evaluate uh, scores. Uh, but they do have the video systems in case they, they think they got it wrong. I do like the fact that they've got a single referee out there. I do like the fact that there are no corner judges in, in a traditional sense. And I do like that Hante is a thing of, a pa of the past. And for those of you who are new to judo and don't know what that is, Hante is back a uh, long time ago. You used to, if, if they, there was no goal and score in competition. So there were times where who would win and lose would come down to a referee's decision. And back in those days, let's say nobody got a score on anything. You, you, you just were, end up grip fighting and moving around and attacking and for, for five minutes. And if I recall correctly, there was an overtime at, at some point. I don't remember. I'm sorry. But if, if nothing happened there, uh, the, the, the main referee would call for Hante and then the side judges and the referee would decide who the winner was. And sometimes those decisions, so let's say you didn't get a score at all, but let's say you came in for a Sayanagi and you managed to lift them off, your, uh, off the person's feet or, or lift the person off their feet, that, that might be enough for a, a side judge to determine that you were the winner of that match, even if there was no score. But I do like the golden score. I, I do think they handle that pretty well, and, and um, I certainly would not want to see us going back to Hante. Or anything like that. Alright, continuing on. At Judo Southampton asks, It would be amazing to have the school projects available in our city. Can clubs become involved somehow in collaborating locally with the IJF school project? Mr. Visa responds, Sure, with pleasure. You have to apply and send us a request to the IJF through your national federation. And he t tagged at British Judo. And there it is again. Just, just respond to the IJF. That'd be kind of nice. Now, here's a really interesting question from D.H. O'Connell. Hello, Mr. President. I was wondering what your opinion is on the idea of bonus ranking points for Epon wins. Uh, Mr. Visa responds, interesting idea, Dan, but not easy to implement. And in case of reflection of the subject, it looks like we would put too much pressure on the athletes. To promote the Epon is one thing. To force it is another. 
that's really interesting. And I kind of like that idea. I don't know. What do you guys think? You can feel free to uh, tweet at me or, or shoot me an email about it. I, I don't know if that would be a good thing or a bad thing. It would certainly change the landscape of rankings quite a bit. But of, but of course, you know, in the early rounds when, when top stars fight against lower-ranked athletes, you're going to see a higher number of Ipon scores. But should an athlete get penalized if he happened to have a tough matchup uh, against somebody in, in, in the very first round of a, of a tournament? Should And he, he manages only a Wazari score. But even, I don't know, let's just say... Let's just say Hifumi Abe fights against An Bao, who's currently ranked number 18. You know, a, a low ranking for him, but An Bao has certainly been one of the top uh, stars in that category in years past. Should So if, if Hifumi Abe manages to beat Bao, uh, but does so with a, with a single Wazari score, should he be penalized for that? I, I don't know. I, I really don't think so. But it's an in- interesting question nonetheless. All right, continuing on, at Daniel Etchells asks, do you expect uh, the the International Judo Federation Grand Prix in The Hague to be back on the calendar in 2021? Mr. Visa responds, actually, we have offered always at Judo Bond a lot of support to organize the Grand Prix, but at the moment, unfortunately, they are not able to manage the continuity of the event. I hope there will be a time to reintegrate a Dutch Judo event on the IJF World Tour in the future. And I think I, I believe I talked about that be, event being canceled in my last episode. All right, I'll read one more question. It's from at Gerard Wolf Moore. God, I hope Wolf is his middle name. That would be incredible. Mr. Vizer, when will the IJF stop cutting away the art that is judo? Brazilian jiu-jitsu will end up more like judo than judo soon. Can you return our traditional art? Uh, hashtag leg grabs, hashtag standing strangles and locks, hashtag ask Visor. Mr. Visor responds, in my opinion, the leg grab was not in the judo tradition. It was an imported technique from wrestling and sambo and kurash, and it is not for the benefit of developing and promoting technical judo. We wish to show the artistry of judo and dynamic actions in relation to traditional standing judo. Uh-oh. I don't know how historically accurate that statement is <laughs> by Mr. Vizer. Now, he does have a point that single legs and double legs, th- those techniques are not in the Gokyo no Waza. But Katagruma is, and Sukui Nagi is. Now, like I said before, I do think leg grab attacks should be part of, um, part of judo in all competitions, but, but the scoring would have to change. But here's the other side of this. I at this point at this point I don't care I don't feel very strongly about leg grabs uh being banned in international judo competition. But I really don't understand why at a national level and and at lower tier tournaments that leg grabs are banned. That that does not make sense to me because I I think I've said this before. You know, you know, college football has different rules than the NFL. College basketball has different rules than the NBA. And even high school wrestling is different from collegiate wrestling. So I don't know why the, the national governing bodies continue to have rules uh, that that mirror what the IGF does. Because 99.9% of all the judoka out there are not competing in the world tour. 
Now, I'm going to guess that in terms of total athletes with an actual point on the world ranking listing, there's, let's see, I would venture to guess there's maybe 4,200 athletes that have a point that have competed, you know, at some point on the IGF World Tour and are trying to get there. But think of the millions upon millions of judo practitioners where the IGF you know, world tours is just, that's a, that's a dream. And that's a, that's a long shot. I mean, take the United States, for example, there's what, maybe 14 or 15 people on team USA. Why, why should the rest of the judoka in the United States have to follow the same rules that those 15 judoka do? And yes, I realize that there are cadets that also uh, compete uh, globally and, and they have to compete under the same rules. I get that. But you guys get my point. Maybe maybe add 30 or, or, or 45 total athletes in the United States across the various age ranges that, um, that have to follow those rules. Should 29,000 other people who, who have no shot at being on the IGF World Tour have to follow those rules as well? And even if they do, it's not that hard to to transition away from grabbing legs. I, I'm sorry to say I, that that's just my opinion. And if, if leg grabs were a thing and a person developed a whole game around leg grabs, well then that's on them and that's on their coach. But for overall judo development, I, I don't think leg grabs should be banned. And I don't, you, you know, at, at, at my club, we don't, we don't ban leg grabs. I, at least, I mean, I, I tell people, or I try and, if I think about it, I, I tell people, hey, you want to try and grab the legs and throw me, you go right ahead. I'm talking about Imran Dori. And, and especially because most of the, the people who do judo are Brazilian jiu-jitsu students first. They need to be able to practice that stuff. So I say let them grab away. All right, anyway. That's it for the Marius Wieser Q&A. And I think that's going to be it for this particular episode of the podcast. At least for the most part. I know I thought I might be able to get to the Budapest Grand Prix, but I'm, I'm not going to be able to get to that. But I do want to bring attention to you fine folks that the Zagreb Grand Prix is going to be happening on the weekend of uh, July 26th. And that's going to be the last Grand Prix or Grand Slam until uh, the World Championships. Now, the International Judo Federation is announcing that Teddy Renair is going to be participating in this event. They've got him on all of their uh, social media banners. I just saw a post from the IJF on Facebook asking uh, the followers if if there's going to be a, a Tushishvili versus a Renair matchup. Who do you think they'll win? Goodness, this might be the contest that... Uh, where Teddy Renair loses, I think if there's going to be a time, at least this year, if anybody is going to be primed to beat Renair, it's going to be Tushishvili, and it's going to be at this Grand Prix. But, of course, when it comes to my lineup on Fantasy Judo, I'm probably going to pick Renair. I'm probably going to set him as captain and get those easy points from my pathetic team. I think Majlinda Kelmendi is going to be at this event. Which pretty much means Uta Abe will not be at this event. <laughs> but we'll hopefully we'll see them as the gold medal match in the World Championships, which will be next month, about this time next month, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to look at the calendar, but I'm too lazy to do a search on that right this second. 
Oh, and that reminds me. Um, I saw this very interesting article about Teddy Renner and the world championships in, on judoinside.com. And what was interesting to me is that the article that I read was making the case that Teddy Renner actually has to show up at this event. And it's my understanding that he had planned on not competing at the world championships. But since he missed several uh, competitions and and those uh, presumably he would have won those competitions, he needs the points to qualify. Right now he's ranked uh, 24th in in the plus 100 kilo division. And if I understand correctly, you in order to make the Olympic Games, you got to be in the top 18. And I'd have to look at the calendar to see all of the events that are going to be taking place after the World Championships and before the Summer Games next year. But I don't know if there's enough competitions, enough high-level competitions for him to compete at that's going to give him all the points that he needs to qualify because, I mean, heck... Everybody else is competing, so they're going to be acquiring points. They're going to be moving up and hopefully not moving down on the world ranking list in that plus 100 kilo division. So Teddy's got to be out there, and I I really think he needs to be at the world championships. Even if for some reason he doesn't win it, he, he's got it. He needs the points, doesn't he? I mean, even if he—one would assume that he's going to make it to the finals— but, you know, maybe he could lose to Hawasawa. Maybe he can lose to Tushishvili. You know, maybe he could lose to, to, to Kapalik. I mean, there's there's plenty of people in that division that he could lose to. But he, he would still get those points on... on he, I, I mean, I can't imagine him getting below a bronze. But but even just, just showing up and, and placing fifth or seventh will, will earn him points toward Olympic qualifications. So he... I, I think he's got to show... And if I recall correctly, he his plan was to avoid this year's World Championships, but there were other Grand Prix events that he was going to show up in, and then it pulled out at the last minute. He finally showed up at at uh, at Montreal. He's he's due to show up at, at Zagreb uh, in Croatia, and um, if he pulls out of this one for whatever reason, he needs the World Championships. Like I gotta think. Anyway, that's that's some. I I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, bit of news that I read on judoinside.com, a website that you all should be reading. All right, is there anything else that I need to cover? I probably not. I I don't have anything left left on my list of things to do. So um, with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style.